We're going to look at uh, Genesis 1 to 10 in two parts. This is part one, and I'm calling this Spoken into Life. This is on Genesis chapter 1. And then we're going to do a part two, which I want to call Walking Through Hell with the Creator. That's Genesis chapters 6 to 9. So, see if you can find Genesis chapter 1. It's easier than finding Hezekiah 14. This chapter of the Bible is widely known by literary scholars as one of the most, if not the most, magnificent pieces of writing ever penned. In its form and balance and careful use of repetition, it has the power to stir up our deepest sense of wonder and to transport us into the world of God. It is that powerful. Gordon Wenham describes it as simple and majestic, dignified yet unaffected, profound yet perfectly clear. It has these clear sections to it, but it also has a natural flow of thought. It has this rhythm of announcement and God said, order, let there be, Fulfillment, and it was so. Description, and then God made. And approval, and God said that it was good. And then there's this pause to restfully consider what has just happened before we start the next wave of understanding and creativity. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day, or the sixth day, or whatever it is. There's also a wonderful symmetry and pattern within this chapter. Everything seems to be weirdly in multiples of seven. I don't know if you like this sort of thing, finding kind of uh, patterns and codes throughout scripture. Some of you like that sort of thing, some of you don't, but you know, sometimes it is fascinating. And uh, listen to this. The first verse, verse has seven Hebrew words. The second has 14, that's two times seven. Verses one to three has 35 words, that's seven times five. God is mentioned 35 times in this section, that's seven times five. Earth is mentioned uh, 21 times, that's seven times three. Heaven 21 times, that's seven times three. uh, Phrases like, and it was so, seven times, and God saw that it was good, seven times. A lot of sevens. In Hebrew tradition, seven is the number for completion, for perfection, for peace. Rest as all is complete. It's like perfection and peace are woven into the text for us to discover. Do you like that? It's almost like the Holy Spirit decided to write this chapter and he said, let's not do it in you know, some kind of boring timing like 4-4 rhythm or 3-4 rhythm. Let's do it in 24-7. <laughs> and just kind of wove that in like an amazing songwriter. Love that. Yet, it is remarkably simple and direct. I think only the Holy Holy Spirit can write that brilliantly. So, the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. God is the first subject, and the entire Bible is the book of God. It's all about 
God. He is the subject. Right in verse 1. The word for God here is ill. And Gordon Wenham pointed out that uh, this word is the ordinary Hebrew word for God. It's plural in form, but singular in meaning. Don't you just love that? Verse 1, we have God, who's plural in form, but singular in meaning. It's a glimpse of the Trinity in chapter 1, verse 1. I love that. Absolutely love that. And the word um, translated God here could be used for any deity. It's like the general umbrella term for God. God of everything. It's not like a, a, a personal name, like the Lord or Jehovah Jireh. That, that is uh, to explain who Israel's God is. It's a personal name. It's not like Molech or Chemosh either, which is gods of nations. It's the general word for God, the sovereign creator of the whole universe. And the God of Genesis 1 is not an abstract concept or a cosmic energy. He is a God who acts and speaks. In verse 1, he is introduced to us as the creator. The words heaven and earth here, commentators agree, means everything. The complete ordered cosmos. Everything. Stars, galaxies, black holes, all of that other stuff that astronomers talk about. All of it. Every single bit. So everything was created and designed by him. Verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So at this point we focus in with laser sharpness into this tiny speck called earth, which sits in this vast solar system, which is a speck in a vast galaxy called the Milky Way, which in itself is a tiny speck within the vastness of the universe. So we've gone from mind-bending cosmic life into this microscopic, in universal terms, speck in this huge void called Earth. Laser sharpness down to us. This is a book for us. And we are tiny specks on earth. And to us, the earth itself is vast. So God starts here, for us. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so the earth we're introduced to is described as formless and void. The word formless here doesn't mean a bit out of shape. It actually means total chaos in the Hebrew. The same word is often used in scripture to describe the feeling a person can have if they are lost in an untracked desert situation where you can easily get lost and die. Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 says this, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his, his inheritance. He found him in a desert land in the howling waste of a wilderness. Same word. He takes a howling waste, total chaos, and from this point he begins to work with it and create a masterpiece. I love that. Don't you love that? Is your life like that? A howling waste, a wilderness, 
Would you describe it as chaos or unformed or empty? If that's you, stay with me. That's where God likes to start. The chaos is coupled with two more hostile realities. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So over this chaos was darkness. Confusing, disorientating blackness above a fathomless depth below. This word for darkness is another evocative word in in Hebrew. In the same way that light symbolises God and goodness and wholesomeness and wholeness and beauty and life, darkness symbolises everything that is anti-God. So wickedness, sin, sickness, bondage, judgment and death. According to Isaiah, salvation can be described as bringing light to those who are in darkness. So we have total chaos, physical and spiritual darkness, and also deep waters. Deep waters is used 36 times in the Old Testament, and it's usually mentioned to describe an environment whereby life is threatened and man can't survive. So think of the flood narrative in Noah's time. Total annihilation. In other words, the story of our planet and our race begins with the most impossible, terrifying and hostile environment for human beings. So have you ever been in a dark place where you can't see a way out and you feel like you're drowning in your circumstances? How often is that the place where God meets with us and begins to form something new? Begins to create something out of the chaos, something out of the darkness, something out of that sense of drowning in our circumstances. By verse 2 of the Bible, we can see that that's what God is like. That's what he loves to do. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then God says something remarkable. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. You can't tell me that God is afraid of chaos. God chose to hover, to remain, to get close to and to stay over the chaos and the darkness and the the annihilating depths of the earth. I don't care what chaos and darkness you encounter in this world. It can be so wicked and disgraceful and overwhelming. But the Spirit of God can come right in and hover over and do something glorious. It's what he does. And he's made it clear from the very beginning. The words the Spirit of God here are a combination of the word almighty and the word for wind or breath or spirit, ruach. So it could be translated an almighty wind, or it could be translated the spirit of the almighty. Do you see? It's confusing. It's not clear. God just put it in there for us to puzzle about. He put it in there so that um, theologians could earn a living from working out which it is. But you know what? In the rest of scripture, these same words are never used just to describe a mighty wind. 
the Greek translation, in the Greek, there is one point in the scriptures where the, 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 the direct translation in the Greek from these original Hebrew words is translated as a mighty wind. Do you know where that is? The day of Pentecost. Where the, the people were gathered together in the upper room praying that the Spirit of God would come and he came like a mighty rushing wind as a way of saying, hey, this is me. You know that mighty rushing wind in Genesis? I'm coming to make something new. I'm coming to bring order out of this chaos. Love that. So, what do we know already by the second verse of the Bible? We have a God who is all-powerful. We have a God who is a super-creative God. <coughs> we have a God who is not afraid of chaos or darkness or death. We have a God who is willing to hover over of the mess of the world. And, as we shall see in the next momentous verse, when he hovers over the chaos, all it takes is one word, and order and form and beauty begin to break forth. Don't you just love the Bible? Just love it. Just as a footnote here, okay? The mythical religious beliefs of the Oriental, Greek, and Roman cultures claim that the earth was created as a result of war amongst the gods. Christianity believes the world was born not out of war, but out of love. I love that. God in loving community, <coughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, lavishing love and creativity over our little speck of a planet. Calling it precious. Being bothered to create what we now know and love. Just God and the world. And he calls things forth, not because he's at war with anything or it's a reaction to anything, but because he delights in what he calls forth out of the world. I guess in a similar way, the evolutionist claims there is no intelligent design, but a mysterious biological phenomenon. The Christian sees the magnificence of God's creation and sings in his spirit to his maker. Which is, in my view, is just one of the most fulfilling things that a human being can do. Just to relate to God as creator, as a part of the creation, and allow yourself to be part of God's beautiful design, and to reflect something of his delight in creation back to him. There's something in doing that, that, that just brings such a sense of belonging, and peace, and contentment, and identity of who we are. Anyway, let's get back to the text. We have only made it so far to verse 2. <laughs> Behold the word of God. Verse 3. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. When God speaks, it's not so much a matter of releasing phonics as it is releasing physics. And that's not so strange when you think about it. Think about what's going on right now, here, in this room. So my mind is telling my, uh, my breath to pass across my vocal cords, which are vibrating and creating sound. And that sound is then passing across time and space to all of you and your little ears across this room. Uh, and my voice goes in your, your ears, and your eardrums vibrate, and the little hairs pick up. 
uh, all of the signals from my voice because the, the air is vibrating between us and you are interpreting my voice inside your little ears and in, it, it's sending nervous signals to your brain for you to understand what it is that I'm saying. And at that point, often things get lost in translation uh, or they get reinterpreted by your brain as to what I'm saying and what I mean. And at that point, the Holy Spirit can take what I'm saying and what you hear and translate it into your life in a way that means something to you. That is incredible. There's a lot of physics involved there, isn't there? There's a lot of uh, biology first, but then vibrating of stuff, particles, vibrating of bits of your bodies, turning into electrical signals. And through this weird change from my spirit and my mind, through physics to your uh, biology and then your spirit, God can create. That is the prayer every time we get up here to speak is that somehow through this amazing biological, physical process of communication, something will change in your life. There's something deep down in your heart. There will be order and form and beauty created in your life in some way. That's part of what we're here for, right? That God may speak through us and form us. And uh, that's just my little old human voice. God's voice is different. I want to introduce you to uh, a brilliant explanation of God's voice. So this is from uh, Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God by Mark Batterson. The human voice is pretty much good for one thing, verbal communication. So we tend to think of God's voice in the same vein, but his voice is so much more than audible words communicated in human language. God uses his voice to speak, but he also uses it to heal and reveal and convict and create and to guide and grace. For his voice is to be fully appreciated, it must be compared and contrasted with the human voice. Scientifically speaking, the human voice is made up of sound waves traveling through space at 1,125 feet per second. The average male speaks at a frequency of 100 hertz, while the average female speaks at a higher pitched voice at around 150 hertz. Sometimes that does hurt. <laughs> there are Barry Whites and Celine Dion's who push the vocal boundaries but our vocal range is between 55 and 880 hertz. We also have a range of hearing, and it's limited to sound waves between 20 and 20,000 hertz. Anything below 20 hertz is infrasonic. Anything above 20,000 hertz is ultrasonic. And it's when we get outside our range of hearing that the miracle of sound is really revealed. Below our range of hearing, infrasound has the capacity to cause headaches, and earthquakes. According to zoologists, using infrasound is the way elephants predict changes in weather. Love that. It also helps birds to navigate as they migrate. And infrasound can also be used to locate underground oil or predict volcanic eruptions. Above our range of hearing, ultrasound has the capacity to kill insects, track submarines, break glass, perform non-invasive surgery, 
topple buildings, clean jewellery, catalyse chemical reactions, heal damaged tissues, pasteurise milk, break up kidney stones, drill through steel, and give you a glimpse of your unborn baby. Does God speak audibly? Absolutely, but that's just a thin slice of his vocal range. His ability to speak is way beyond our ability to hear audibly. Just as there are people who claim they have never experienced a miracle, there are those who argue they've never heard the voice of God. I would argue otherwise. That may be true of his audible voice within our small range of hearing, but everything we see was structured by his acoustic oscillations. (laughs) What we see today... He once said, his voice is all around us, all the time. It's good, isn't it? Everything we see was formed by his acoustic oscillations. So even on a physical level, sound can be used to affect change. And God's voice is active right now, all around us, though sometimes outside our range. But there is a spiritual dimension here too. What do I mean by that? I mean that creation knows God's voice, and when he speaks, creation responds. This happens throughout Scripture, not just in Genesis 1, but also throughout the Bible. So God told the waters to rise in Noah's day. He told the meteors to raise two cities to the ground before Abraham. He told fire, wind, and earthquakes to parade before Elijah's cave. He told the sea to give up Jonah. Perhaps the clearest example is when Jesus is welcomed by his friends in the boat when there is a storm on the Sea of Galilee and they all think they're going to drown and Jesus wakes up and he speaks to the storm and he says a few words. He just says, quiet, be still. And the storm just settles down to a whisper and the sea goes flat and his friends are just awestruck. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? They know the name of the, the, the voice of their creator. And it was at that point they started trembling before Jesus in that particular way. Creation knows his voice and still does. And creation seems to have a voice of its own as well to respond with. They speak to one another, creation and the creator. Isaiah 55, verses 11 and 12. So will my word be which goes forth, forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. There's power there. And, without, uh, and it will not return to me without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. What does that mean? One day we will know. I want to know what it sounds like for the mountains and the hills to break into song. Yeah. I want to know what it sounds like for the trees of the field to start clapping their hands. There is a song of creation that creation brings back to God that is outside of our audible range. But I want to hear it one day. God speaks, creation responds. Do you want to hear God's very first recorded words concerning our little planet? God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And I see this almost like an artist in his studio, standing before a, a mighty block of marble, ready to carve his masterpiece, his David or whatever. And the first thing an artist needs usually is good light. I can imagine him sort of opening up the rafters so that we can see what he's doing. But more than that, it's not just a lamp to, for God to work by. According to the same guy, Batterson, when God said, let there be light, we could paraphrase it with this. Let there be electromagnetic radiation with varying wavelengths, traveling at 168,282 miles per second. We could have said that. We could have said, let there be radio waves, microwaves, and x-rays. Let there be photosynthesis and fiber optics. Let there be LASIK surgery, satellite communication, and suntans. And let there be rainbows after rainstorms. Love that. Light covers so much. Let light give rise to vision and appreciation of beauty. Let light be able to travel around the earth seven and a half times in a single second so that people can chat to loved ones on the other side of the world without a single second's delay. Let light be the first link in the food chain, sustaining all life through photosynthesis. Without light, there is no food. Let there be light for health on earth. We know that an absence of light can not only cause uh, deficiency, uh, deficiency in vitamin D but it can also cause depression and a whole load of other stuff in between we also know that light is the origin of energy you know Einstein's famous theory of relativity E equals MC squared we're getting very scientific now um, E stands for energy and it's relative to M which is mass times C which is what's the word Celeritas, it's a Latin word, which basically is the word for speed, celeritas, because in Einstein's theory of relativity, uh, the, the C part is the speed of light traveling through a vacuum. So energy is mass times the speed of light traveling through a vacuum squared. I know, I thought I sounded clever too. Just trying to explain Einstein's theory of relativity. I'm just going to enjoy the moment. But here's the thing. The speed of light is the constant in Einstein's theory. So mass changes. But the speed of light is the constant. Everything else is just stuff. It's matter. Light is the constant and the origin of every, every energy in the universe. It's the battery that powers everything. Mass has no energy without movement, which is measured and powered by light. Light is the beginning of everything we know. And you know, you began with a spark of light. Did you know this? Embryologists have just understood and have witnessed the moment that a sperm makes connection with an egg. As soon as that sperm enters the egg, the egg releases millions of little zinc atoms which literally light up. Sparks fly on every single conception. Isn't that incredible? Sparks flew when you were conceived. You began as a little ball of light and then started to form and the cells started to divide. 
Every time that happens, every miracle of conception mirrors the first four words of the Bible. Let there be light. And can I remind you also that these words are three and a half thousand years old. So before the Hubble Space Telescope or Einstein or the Hadron Collider could explain any of the detail, these words are dictated by the Holy Spirit and densely loaded with meaning and wonder. And we are only just beginning to understand them. It's phenomenal. We're starting to think God's thoughts after him. Yeah. Little by little. So with that in mind, how can we understand the time span of creation? Because this is where all the argument is. Was it seven literal human days? Was it seven uh, ages? Are we talking about God's days, which can be like a hundred billion years? Or are we talking a literal seven day creation? I keep talking about things that could, church, could cause a church split. Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? I think God could do it in seven of our days. I think he could. I think God could speak. I think the power of God's voice is such that he could speak and within a 24-hour period, as we know it, the oceans could be teeming with fish or the mountains could rise out of the sea or whatever. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> Nobody does. I think it would be consistent with the way God likes to work did it over a period of time. So much of what God creates, he's not in a rush about, is he? Think of a, a magnificent oak tree. How long that takes for it to reach that maturity. You think about anything. You know, think about how the kingdom has, has slowly moved throughout the earth. It's, you know, the, the, the people in the book of Acts thought that Jesus was coming back any minute. It was like, at any moment, keep looking at the sky. And yet, God doesn't seem to be in an enormous hurry, does he? The kingdom is slowly moving across the earth. Uh, I like the idea that God took millennia to lavish his love and creativity over our planet. I, I enjoy imagining God at work on a very young earth. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Physics and biology just bursting forth every day, something new coming out. I'd love to watch the time lapse of just how the Himalayas were created. Just watching them slowly rise and rise and rise and rise and rise and rise. And then the foothills of the Himalayas having one kind of geology and the high Himalayas having a completely different landscape and Father, Son and Holy Spirit having a nice cup of tea on the summit of Everest and saying, this is awesome. <laughs> Don't you love that? What he did on every step was so mind-blowingly clever and beautiful. And I sometimes get so moved by the beauty of creation that I feel like crying. Do you ever have those moments where you just think, I am so deeply grateful for this moment? When you see the rising of the mist off the fields at dawn, or hear the sound of a robin in full song, or the perfect geometric spiral in the center of a humble daisy. You ever picked up a date? I've, got, I've had a lot of two-year-olds that I've been looking at, like four of them. They grow up eventually, but 
honours at this stage now, you can't walk from A to B without her picking something up, and it could be like an empty cigarette packet, or it could be a daisy, or something like that. But when she picks up any, something like a daisy, she says, Dad, look! This is, she's seen it for the first time, she's amazed by it. She's like, look, Dad, a flower! And I could just go, yeah, a daisy. <laughs> but have you ever... Have you ever looked at the centre of a daisy, the yellow bit? And just, just look in there. It is phenomenal. It's, there's like perfect spiral order in every single one of them. What's the point of that? God loves it. He's an artist. He just loves it. I love this, to watch a, a dragonfly fly and just there. And, and bees. Can't get enough of watching bees. Just the way they go from plant to plant. Or just a cow lazily munching in a field. Just the way all of these things happen has just got such incredible symbiotic beauty to it. And I find myself wanting to be face down in worship before my creator. God, you did that. You did that so I could see it and share it with you. Sometimes we need to slow down enough to notice the miracle of Genesis 1 all around us. When God made everything, he paused and took delight in it. He landscaped the ground and said that it is good. He made the plant life and he rejoiced. I totally get that. He made the marine life and the birds and he celebrated, etc., etc., etc. God is delighted with the earth. And he is most delighted with humanity. When you see the amount of ink spilt in Genesis chapter 1, you start with a few words to introduce God and let there be light. And then there's longer and longer and longer and longer passages until you hit the creation of humanity. And then there's a whole chapter devoted into how that happened and the rest of the Bible is about humanity and God together. And I love the fact that as soon as he made man, he was so pleased with himself that he took a day off just to hang out with man. And remember, this could be one of God's days. He took a million years to hang out with man, possibly. Love it. So, you beautiful, celebrated, lit up masterpieces of the Creator, that's you. How shall we respond? Well, I think we should respond twofold one, with worship and gratitude, and two, by taking responsibility by care for all that he has made. That is our job description. That is something he has handed to us. So next week we're going to look at the story of Noah. And I'm going to call it Walking with hell, Through Hell with the Creator. And we're going to look at our mandate for creation care, the brokenness of creation, and God's redemption plan. But for now, I want to finish this morning in worship. Just coming before God as creator. And as we do that, I'm going to pass this around. Um, as I was preparing this, I, I was walking the dog uh, through Dartington Woods, the ones that are behind uh, the Schumacher College, as the old craft centre or something like that. Uh, and the woods behind there are beautiful. And I was there in the morning, walking through. And uh, they've been doing a lot of tree work there, so they've been felling some of these western red cedar trees, and it smells amazing in these woods at the moment. 
And I sat on this great big log and I was seeing the light stream through the trees and there was a woodpecker somewhere in the distance and I found myself in one of those face down worship moments. And one of the things that hit me hardest just was the smell of this western red cedar because I love it. I used to love making stuff out of it. It's what you put as like cedar shingles on roofs and things like that. And it's, it's one of my favorite smells and it makes me just want to get back to the workshop. And so I bought you some. If you scratch it, and have a sniff. Oh. It's a bit like smell vision Do you remember that in the 90s? Those little cards where you watch TV and you scratch it and you sniff it and you're supposed to be more involved. This is what this is for. So I'm going to pass that around. You can have, have a scratch and a sniff and you can use that as part of your worship. But let's stand and let's pray and then we're going to hand over to the band. <coughs> Lord, Paul prayed, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father, through every family on earth derives its name. Lord, you are the creator. You are the originator of all that is. You are the artist. You are the one who dreamt up this magnificent, beautiful world and you gave it to us as a gift because you loved it and you didn't want to keep it to yourself but you wanted to share it with us and you said come on let's live in it let's dwell in it richly and then let's cultivate it let's make it even more beautiful together and Lord we know we've messed that up in so many ways but Father we want to be your worshipping creation we want to reciprocate to you something of the gratitude that we feel for this incredible world that you've given us and this incredible word that you've given us. So Lord, would you just pull us in, bring us in now like a big bear hug from Father to creation that we may know you as creator and sustainer of all life. In Jesus' name.